Welcome to the Apple for the Teacher podcast, the true crime podcast that features the good apples and the bad apples within the school system. My name is Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So join me as I present school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable and outright bizarre. Hello everyone, my name is Anna Thomas, I'm a teacher and your host and this is episode 23. Let's first say hello to our Facebook group members. We have Christine Patching, Stacey Diane Baldwin and Rebecca Paig. So hello ladies. Now Christine also left me a very lovely iTunes review. So here's what she said. Impressive. I'm loving your podcast, Anna. Your stories are so interesting and very different to most of the podcasts I listen to. It's great to not have to strain to understand what you are saying. Your diction is fantastic. Keep up the awesome work. Thank you so much, Christine. I found your review after getting a rather negative one, so this made me feel a whole lot better. Now, my stats show that the podcast has listeners in Belgium. So hello to you. So let's visit Belgium today. Belgium is well known for its love of beer. There are more than 1,000 different types of beer in Belgium. But I bet you didn't know that in the 1970s, light beer was served during school lunch. Yes, that's what I said. Eventually, it was replaced by water and soft drinks. But Many have been calling for beer to be reinstated in schools, arguing that it's healthier than soft drinks. But I'm not sure if that's a good idea. It's not the kids that I would be worried about. It would be the teachers drinking the beer. We also know that Belgium is world famous for chocolate. Today, Belgium is the world's number one exporter of chocolate. And get this the Brussels airport has the highest number of chocolate sales in the whole world. So out of all of the places in the world that sell chocolate, this particular airport sells the most. Isn't that interesting? And here's another fact. I always wondered about this. Did Brussels sprouts get their name from the city of Brussels in Belgium? Well, apparently, yes, they originated in Belgium. I absolutely love Brussels sprouts, but I know not many people do. They are just so delicious with a bit of salt and pepper and melted butter. But then again, I am a vegetarian, so I love every vegetable. So let's get into our story today. There is only going to be one bad apple story because it's quite a long one. So here's a preview. The story is called Face the Music. Kay was a schoolgirl who started taking accordion lessons. But what happened at the music studio? This is actually not the story that was previewed in the last episode because I came across today's story and I just had to bring it up the queue. But first, a warning that this story is about abuse against a child and is very disturbing. So discretion is advised. I'd like to ask you if you have any musical talents. Can you play an instrument maybe? We all have our abilities and talents. Mine certainly isn't playing an instrument, but I can hit a pretty good tennis ball. The girl at the centre of this story was talented musically, so let's get into her story. 
We go to California in the US. Kay Francis Erickson was born in 1940 and started taking dancing and piano lessons at age five. It was noted by her school that Kay was artistically talented and at age eight, her mother wished for her to pursue her musical talents. She was introduced to an accordion teacher and it was then that Kay began weekly lessons at the music teacher's studio. The music teacher taught beginning students at the studio that she shared with her partner, who was also a music teacher. They both ran their lessons at the studio. As well as her private accordion lessons, there were also three other students who joined Kay at the lessons, and together they formed an accordion quartet. They spent a lot of time at the studio practicing together and even sometimes stayed there the night, sleeping on the couch. Their teachers sometimes took them on outings together and even out to dinner. To begin with, Kay's mother, Beatrice, accompanied her daughter to the lessons. But the family started to experience financial issues. Mr. Erickson became unemployed and Beatrice had to take on work to support the family. She also began studying to become a nurse's aide. Therefore, due to working and her studies, Beatrice accompanied Kay less and less to her music lessons. The family's financial problems continued and they were unable to pay for Kay's accordion lessons. However, the music teacher was very gracious to allow Kay to continue with her lessons without payment. The music teacher told Beatrice that Kay had great musical potential and that if she completely dedicated herself to her music, she could become a world-famous accordion virtuoso. But Beatrice expressed her concerns because Kay was already struggling with school due to the amount of time that she was spending on music and dancing lessons. But the teacher persisted saying that she wanted Kay to come and live with her for a year and that she would help her to become a professional player, which would then see her earning a good income. With the family struggling financially and Beatrice occupied with work and study, the offer for her to look after Kay seemed like an attractive one. So the family decided to take Kay out of school and she went to live at the studio immersing herself in her musical studies. On the morning of October 12, 1950, a call was made to the police by Kay's music teacher. She was frantic, screaming that Kay was not breathing. When the ambulance arrived, this was the scene that confronted them. They found 10-year-old Kay on the couch and noticed that she had numerous cuts, bruises, burns and scars all over her body and she wasn't breathing. They performed resuscitation, but sadly, Kay was pronounced dead at the scene. She was taken to the morgue for an autopsy to be performed. Meanwhile, the teacher was being questioned about what had happened. She said she had been awoken to Kay screaming and found her strapped to a chair. She was yelling, get the accordion off me, and then she fell into unconsciousness. She removed the straps and placed Kay on the couch. When asked 
why the girl had been strapped to the chair, the teacher explained that Kay had done this herself. She also said Kay inflicted the wounds on herself and that in recent times she had begun exhibiting increasingly strange behaviour, often tying herself to furniture. The results of the autopsy revealed that Kay had been dead for several hours before the emergency call was made. While some of the wounds could have been self-inflicted, the coroner concluded that most, however, were inflicted by someone other than Kay herself. The actual cause of death was determined to be the choking on regurgitated food. In other words, she had choked on her own vomit. Together with the coroner's findings and the police discovery of blood-stained accordion straps, the death was ruled as a homicide. The teacher was arrested and charged with murder. The teacher went on trial, and most of the testimony came from the teacher herself and Kay's mother, Beatrice, with many of the statements of the two women contradicting one another. So let's go into the details of the trial. So it had been agreed that Kay would go and live with her teacher to pursue her musical studies. In the beginning, her parents would sometimes come and visit. According to Beatrice's statement, the teacher said that it would be best if they did not visit, as this would distract Kay from her instrument. She stated that Kay seemed to play poorly during the visits and then cry and feel bad about her poor performance. So Beatrice agreed not to disturb Kay with her lessons. However, the teacher disputed this, saying the parents didn't appear to show much interest in Kay and they didn't even attend her recitals. Beatrice responded to this by saying, quote, I didn't go to the programs she was in because the teacher told me parents were not invited and the programs were private. From very early on, when she first started teaching the girl, the teacher testified that Kay began showing signs of very unusual behaviour, which got progressively worse. She started acting possessed, having tantrums and going into trances. She also started mutilating herself and had to be watched constantly. She said the child got so bad that she was forced to tie her up for her own good. She recalled one incident, quote, I was out of the studio about 20 minutes. When I came back, she had the flat iron in her hand. She had burned herself on the right arm and on the thigh. I was shocked. I asked her why she did such a thing. She just laughed and said, because it felt so good. One other occasion, she said Kay suddenly stopped playing her instrument and when asked why, she said her dead grandfather had ordered her to do so. She further described Kay's strange behaviour, quote, Kay would stare into space. When spoken to, she would not answer. I would shake her and then she would come too. She played as if she was blind and kept her eyes half-mastered. She did this quite frequently. I would shake her, slap her on the face, nudge her with my foot, and then her eyes would open wide and she would say, the voices told me to play blind. 
In the week prior to her death, she claimed Kay started sleepwalking and talking about death incessantly. She gave the following account of the day of Kay's death. The previous evening, she claimed that Kay appeared normal and that she had not been strapped to the chair. She went to sleep and then at 6am in the morning, she heard noises that woke her up. She found Kay strapped to the chair and yelling, get the accordion off me. She had a shirt wrapped around her head with the arms tied around her neck. Another shirt was on backwards with a few buttons fastened. She described Kay's eyes as being like in a trance. She removed the straps and put Kay on the couch. She then called her boyfriend, who arrived shortly after, and an ambulance was called. They attempted resuscitation, and then she was taken out of the studio on a stretcher. It was her belief that the girl was alive when they took her out, and that she had choked on her own vomit when they had attempted resuscitation. The court also summoned other students from the music studio to give testimony at the trial. They reported that they often saw Kay tied up to furniture, and they had also seen the teacher kick Kay and also hit her with a ruler. On one occasion, Kay was tied up to a filing cabinet in a standing position while the teacher, her partner, and a student went out to dinner. They also reported that Kay was left many times on the floor with her hands tied and that the teacher's partner also whipped Kay with a strap. The teacher would explain Kay's bruises and injuries as self-abuse and that Kay would bum her own head against the wall or on the accordion. Kay also had finger injuries, which according to the teacher were caused by Kay chewing on them. Kay was often seen with bandages covering her whole face except for her nose. They also said they saw the teacher put makeup on Kay's face to hide the bruises. Once when they were taken to the movies, Kay's eyes were covered with a scarf throughout the entire movie. The students also testified that the teacher forced Kay to masturbate in front of them and threatened all of them with punishment if they told their parents. The teacher responded by saying the following. She admitted to whipping the girl, but said her erratic behaviour meant that it was necessary. She said she had also told her mother of her bizarre behaviour, and her mother gave her permission to inflict corporal punishment when needed. As for being tied to the chair, she said this allowed the child to maintain the correct position required for accordion playing. And she further added that accordion players often tie themselves to chairs to relieve the pressure of holding the heavy instrument. The court also heard testimony from a waitress at a cafe that the teacher often frequented. She said Kay was always quiet and looked unhappy. A meal was never ordered for her. The bruises were explained as being self-inflicted. When the waitress asked about the condition of Kay's eyes, the teacher responded with, She's not telling anything about how she got her eyes. She isn't talking. The teacher gave further testimony regarding the relationship between Kay and her mother. She said Kay hated her family and often spoke about killing them 
by turning on the gas as they slept. She claimed Kay and her mother were emotionally distant, saying, The child's mother and Kay never embraced, never called each other endearing terms. After one visit to her home, Kay said, I hate them, I never want to go back home. She also alleged that Kay's mother asked her to allow Kay to live with her because Kay had been molested by her father. Beatrice refuted this claim. Now we will look at the coroner's findings. The court heard that the coroner found Kay to be emaciated and below the weight of a normal 10-year-old girl. He said it would be obvious to anyone that she had been abused. The wounds appeared to be very recent with signs of slicing and burn marks. There were marks on her wrists and ankles showing that she had been strapped with something. Her legs and feet also showed lividity, which means the discoloration of the skin due to the settling and pooling of blood under the influence of gravity. Her genitalia also showed signs of trauma. The official cause of death was described as aspiration of food, which means the drawing down of food into the air passages due to multiple injuries. Kay had multiple head injuries, so the blows to the head was thought to have caused the aspiration of food, or she may have been obstructed from vomiting due to something tied around her mouth. The prosecuting attorney had this to say at the trial. He questioned why the accused would take on full-time care of a child without some type of compensation from the parents. The reason, he argued, was that she was a homosexual sadist and that her payment was seeing a young girl suffer. He described her story as the greatest hoax and fraud. And here's what the defence attorney had to say at the trial. He attempted to discredit Kay's mother. There seems to me to be a great effort to free everyone of guilt in this case but this defendant. This is a murder trial by imagination. The birth certificate given by Mrs. Erickson when Kay Francis was born showed that she had another child who was alive. What did she do? Did she give that child away as well as she did Kay Francis? Why did the teacher help Kay Francis? Do you have to have a reason to help little kids? The trial lasted 17 weeks, an unusually long length of time, but mostly due to the numerous delays caused by the teacher's fainting spells. There were numerous recesses due to her physical and mental condition. In one instance, it was observed that she appeared ill with a severe tremor and was sitting at the council table with her head down and her eyes closed part of the time. She gave no answer, which didn't show an alertness that is necessary for a defendant in her position. Finally, after the longest trial in California history, the jury was able to retire to consider its verdict. After eight days of deliberation, the accused was found guilty of first-degree murder and subsequently sentenced to life in prison. Yes, I hear you all say. The mother of the accused shouted over and over, no, 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 and the teacher herself collapsed 
onto the courtroom floor. But it's not over yet. Yes, of course, there was an appeal. A retrial was requested on the following grounds. Quote, a major part of the trial was conducted in the absence of appellant, who, although physically present in the courtroom, was often unconscious or only semi-conscious and mentally absent during much of the trial. The California Court of Appeals wrote, quote, Mere physical presence without mental realisation of what was going on would obviously be of no value to the accused. A defendant in such condition would be unable to confer with or assist counsel, unable to testify, and without ability to understand the nature of the accusation or the mechanics or consequences of the trial. The court offered a new trial at which the teacher opted to be tried before a judge. In a one-day trial, she was convicted of second-degree murder. The reason for the conviction to be downgraded from first-degree to second-degree murder is that the state failed to prove beyond reasonable doubt that the wounds also contributed to her death. As the coroner's findings stated, the death was due to choking on regurgitated food. She was then sentenced to life with a minimum of six years. However, the California Parole Board recommended that she serve at least 50 years. The prosecution described Kay's death as follows, quote, a medieval sacrificial ceremony in which this woman used a child to satisfy her abnormal sex drive. But people, it's still not over. Ten years into her sentence, she was granted parole with a stipulation that she not be in contact with children. She changed her name and, after ten years of freedom, she was officially discharged from the criminal justice system. What, I hear you say? She then died ten years later in 1983 at the age of 55. Oh, that's finally it, everyone. You can now scream with joy. What I found interesting was that there was no charges against her boyfriend. They shared the studio. I would assume that he saw much of what was going on, and we did know that he participated to a certain degree. It was also curious that the parents allowed their daughter to go and live with the teacher. Were they motivated by money? Did they really believe that her talent would bring money into the family? Or were they just neglectful parents? Perhaps back in 1950, there was more trust in people and they really thought that she would be okay living with her. Whatever the case, there are just no words to adequately describe that woman. Her pathetic excuses and the sentence was also pathetic. Rest in peace, sweet angel. Now, just before we finish, I'd like to give you a podcast recommendation. It's called Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions, and it's an Australian podcast like mine. So take a listen. These are real confessions. Saying I've wanted to kill my mother since I was eight years old. From real serial killers. Oh, just got to be violent. Best-selling true crime author Amanda Howlett doesn't just talk about their crimes. She talks directly to them. It's all getting a bit much, really. It's the podcast that goes where others fear to tread. 
Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Subscribe now in your favourite podcast feed. Now here's a preview of episode 24. It's called Lovebirds and Guardian Angels. Did you have a high school sweetheart? Laurie did. Did you have a special teacher in high school? Hattie did. So to end this episode, I will leave you with this interesting quote by Phil McGraw, host of the TV show Dr. Phil. I'm embarrassed every time I look a teacher in the eye because we ask them to do so much for so little. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.